For the Canadian Society of Physician Leaders, I'm Pat Rich, and this is Leading the Way, the podcast for and about physician leaders. On today's show, your host, Dr. Victor Jew, interviews Dr. Teresa Chan. This summer, Teresa was named as founding dean of the Toronto Metropolitan University School of Medicine. The TMU School of Medicine is the first Canadian medical school to be created in the last 15 years. Over to you, Victor. Thanks, Pat. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Dr. Teresa Chan, who is the founding dean of the Toronto Metropolitan University School of Medicine, as well as TMU's Vice President of Medical Affairs. She previously was at uh, McMaster um, as Associate Dean Continuing Professional Development. Teresa, thanks so much for taking time to join me for this. Excellent. Thank you for having me. One of the first things I wanted to ask is when you're thinking of leading the founding of a new medical school, what are all the challenges and pieces that you're thinking of? I have to say it's a it's a generation opportunity and it's something that, you know, people talk about, but uh, very few people get to do. And I would say that the big things that I'm thinking about is what is our mandate going to be? How are we going to differentiate ourselves? How are we going to be true to that vision of our differentiation? And then how are we going to be in some ways leapfrogging everyone else because everyone else is kind of mired in the history and the momentum of doing things the way they were done last year. And we have a chance to rethink things and take a step back and go, okay, well, could we have done this in a more sensible way if we weren't trying to just add on and add on and add on, right? It's the difference uh, of building a new house versus retrofitting an old house. And I think that those of you who are in the middle of a curriculum renewal, that's actually a very similar experience, right? You get the chance to like just break out the old, the everyday, and just rethink what it looks like to build something from the ground up. And I think that that's, those are the things I'm thinking about. Can you talk about what, as you look at articulating that vision, what are the priorities that you do want to consider and um, who else do you want to involve in the process? First and foremost, you have to consult the people who are going to be the patients and the clients that you serve. So I think that TMU did it right. They're very forward thinking and very inclusive. They've done thousands of hours of consultation with community members. They've talked to focus groups of different marginalized populations or different equity deserving groups. They've talked to hundreds of the potential clinical faculty. They've visited sites. They've done work um, at the grassroots. They've talked to community groups. So much of that engagement has been so important. So knowing all of that was going on, obviously during a global pandemic, a lot of it was done by Zoom, but I don't think it decreases the authenticity of really trying to listen and understand what people mean. I think you also need to look at the sentinel signs in the literature, right? There are some things that people keep talking about that would be really important to fold in QI. It's really important to build in leadership. It's really important to have equity, diversity, inclusion principles and have people understand accessibility and indigenous reconciliation and decolonization. It's important for us to pay attention to all those signs and symbols and signals and then pull them in. The other thing that we need to do is really bring in very smart people who know the lay of the land, who have read the literature, maybe written some of it, and give them a chance to run. And so that's a very important part of this too, is that bringing in great leaders, people who have spent their time really trying to fix the system from the inside, and then giving them and empowering them with the chance to actually go and make something new. It is a different mindset. So there's all that coaching that has to go on and permission giving, because many people come to me and I'm like, well, I need you to fix this. I'm like, well, no, it's going to be a co-design. Like you have an idea clearly. So why don't you tell me how you would fix it? It's one of those things that I'm trying to not be a pain about, but 
often my first response when someone asks, hey, can I ask you a question? What do you think about this, this, and this? My first answer almost universally these days is, well, what do you think? That's a great question. And just like an attending physician talking to a senior resident who really doesn't need me to talk to them, by doing that and giving the permission for them to talk and say what they want to say, I think we have a better chance at co-designing something better. Because I do have thoughts, but I want to hear their thoughts first. I want to see where they're coming from. Why is this an issue to them? And understand that. And I think that that's really, really, really important when you're trying to lead peers, people that are more experienced than you, people that are more junior than you. It doesn't matter. It's understanding their frame and then being able to build with them. Can you just name really clearly for our listeners, uh, again, those things that you really uh, feel are core to you when you're making leadership decisions and, and in your leadership roles? As I think there's an impulse when you're a new leader to just fix everything. But I think it's important to listen, to really understand what's going on and have that reflexivity to hold back a little bit, let people try. Because I think that if you keep doing things for other people, then no one learns. And I think that when you're building something new and you're taking a chance on people, you, you kind of need to make that space for them. So similar to what I do in education, right? It's it's transformational leadership really in that way, right? It's about coaching. It's about empowering. It's about making sure that people feel seen, feel heard, feel listened to. And then respecting that you do also sometimes have to bring out the tiger, I guess, Dean in this case, and say, you know, you want that? That's great. Show me what you want. Perform the task that you're hoping, you know, there are lots of ambitious people. So it's about making sure that they, I see your ambition. I will give you the space to do that now. What does that look like? And I think that that's the kind of co-design model of leadership that's really important because it can't just all be me because it's all me, then it's not sustainable. If it's all me, it's not doable. And at the end of the day, it has to be a we and it has to be a process by which people feel like they were part of the process because it's an our medical school problem. It's not a Teresa Chan problem. And I think that that's a mindset sometimes that when you come from a very hierarchical model, we're always looking for someone else to make the call. I think that the wisest leaders I know, and many of the other deans are like this, they'll, they'll, they'll push it back because they, they probably hired you because you're smarter than they are. They want to hear your advice. They want to hear what you have to say. And I think that as my advice to those who are on the other side of that, it's not weird that we ask that. We can't know everything. We may have thoughts and ideas and we've heard something at a board meeting one day or something at a meeting another day or someone might have sent us a text message. So we do have our perspective and we have our inside scoop. We may have access to different information, not better information, just different information. But I think it's in making that first proffer, right? It's uh, in med ed, what do we talk about? We talk about making a commitment when we're talking about some of the models for presenting a case. Presenting a case about a patient is no different from presenting your business case when you're trying to actually make a pitch to someone. I think you have to say, this is the situation, this is the background, this is assessment, this is my recommendation, as far. You can use that same format to really make sure that you communicate well in leadership, just as well as you would in handover uh, at a patient bedside. I mentioned at the beginning that, you know, we'd had a chance to work together before. One of the venues has been through connecting with kind of other Asian learners and leaders in medicine and medical education. You know, informally, our group was has been kind of about, you know, increasing capacity with leadership and scholarship. And so I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about that because um, you, as, as one of the staff and faculty of the group, have been someone who's I've looked up to, and, and certainly I, I look up to you in, in the work that you do right now. But can you just reflect a little bit about from 
being an Asian leader in medicine, what this means and, and, you know, the things that you think about go through? Yeah, I mean, I think there's been multiple articles I've come across that have pointed out that East Asian, South Asian folks are very represented, very well represented, maybe overrepresented at times in medical schools. But if you look at the decanal roles, there's there's not that many of us um, that make it that far. They pointed out even with men and women, women are 50 plus percentage in most medical school classes. And yet there's only been nine medical school deans in Canada that have been women. Let that sink in. I think the same thing goes with, uh, they talk about the glass ceiling for women and for Asian, um, at least East Asians, they talk about the bamboo ceiling. These are because of their stereotypes, because there are cultural nuances, because of the way that I think you and I have different cultures, but we have similar kind of cultural memes within those cultures that pervade to say, you know, defer to people who are senior to you, respect, give face, let let them say face, uh, make sure that you don't placate people who are deserving of respect because of their rank and their age and their seniority to you. And I think that when you have a culture like that, it comes up against being able to even talk about yourself out loud. I've had to have mentors that are not from my culture to point out that it's weird that I don't talk about myself better. It's taken unlearning to learn different ways of doing. And that includes learning from Indigenous elders about the wisdom. It can be talking to a Caucasian male colleague who quirks an eyebrow when you don't step up for a job. It could be also talking to other people who are allies of yours or role models of yours to even just hear their journey so that you can hear that it's possible, right? For me, David Chang, who was an interim dean at Western, is a family friend, and, and I'm indebted to him for always having pushed the envelope with academic medicine so that I knew that if he could do it, it's totally possible. Even though my dad chose to go into the community as a community doctor and, you know, he became chief of staff and did all this stuff, but he was never interested in academia. But knowing that Davey was out there, you know, taking no prisoners, being department chair and then interim dean, it, it, it helped me know that it's possible for someone who was like me to get out there and do stuff that was great. Then I have lunch as a paro rep, and I sit next to Sarita Verma, and I think she adopted me that day or something. But today, even, she still texts messages and sends me emails to keep me informed and mentor me. She's actually actually my legit mentor. Uh, TMU has entered into an agreement with her to, to make sure she mentors me because there's no previous dean that can mentor me. So they picked one that is very mission aligned to what we're doing. And I think that that's amazing. I think that it's also awesome to see others across the country uh, being very visible, right? Roger Wong at UBC, John Yu, obviously, at Western after Davey, right? And seeing people that look like me in some way ascend to these roles and take them on, I think that's been really important for me because I think representation does really matter. And so I, I don't take it lightly that I know that for many people, it's important that someone looks like me steps up to the plate. And I think that that went through my head when they were like, hey, do you want to apply for this? And the recruiters came after me to try. I was like, hey, what the hell? I got to try. I got to try because they don't start medical schools every day. Although right now it feels like they're starting five or something like that at once. So it's one of those things where it's like 50 years, one, like 35 years in and then five. It's like, I don't know, there's cycles, right? And so we're probably in a heyday where we will be founding. There'll be other founders of other medical schools who will hopefully listen to this podcast and heed my words to say, I think when you're building something new, you, you get a chance to reinvent structures that weren't there before, immerse yourself in the literature, bring the best out in the world that everyone's been talking about, and really question all the structures to say what's essential. It's in with the accreditation standards, fine. You definitely have to have those lockers that everyone loves. But in the curriculum, could you make different ways of doing 
Could you acknowledge different kinds of scholarship? Can you see advocacy, for instance, as a form of scholarship, so long as people can disseminate it, be open to public review, be open to public comment, be able to have that discourse and exchange? Well, I think that that's entirely possible. And so rethinking the structures rather than just copy and pasting from somewhere else. I think that's the biggest privilege of when you're stepping up to the plate. So whether you're an Asian woman trying to do that, or you're an Indigenous scholar trying to make something new, or you're a Black person in your family to go to a university medical student, I think that when you are pioneering, at least you're not the norm yet. I think it's important for you to realize that you bring a new perspective that's so crucial that it's not about whether or not you fit in. In fact, why you're there might be because you don't fit. Because we are trying to pick people who are different to bring new perspectives and then new excellence and new ways of knowing, seeing, doing, and being so that we can be stronger. I'm I'm so looking forward to the impact that you'll leave and, and the number of people that will be inspired by your work. As we kind of come to a close, it's a tradition for me on this podcast as a learner host to um, hear from, I guess, a little bit about, again, some parting words that you would tell our, our learner listeners about leadership, the leadership journey, um, mm-hmm. and those who are looking to, to make impact in, in any manner, whether in quote-unquote big L leader roles or in their everyday uh, spheres of influence. Leadership is a practice. You can't learn it in a classroom. You can't read a book about it and know it all. What you're doing as a resident leader what you're doing as a student council leader, what you're doing as someone who volunteers on the weekends at the soup kitchen and organizes everyone, that's leadership that teaches you skills. Make sure that you find some time to reflect with people who are, again, helping volunteering at the soup kitchen who might have more experience with you. Find times to reflect on your practice and keep doing that and keep doing that because that's the, that's the practice of leadership. A lot of the time we think leadership comes from getting a big L leadership role, it's not. You get the big L leadership role and you're the best applicant for that role because you've done all the leaderly things along the way. And I think that what's important is that you know that that service work that you do now, it is a chance for you to learn and build contacts and cultivate mentors because it's the same people that then when you're the junior faculty, they're all program directors and department chairs. And then when you're an associate dean, they're dean. And like, they're, like it's the same group of people and they're all cycling around. And I think that if you're interested and inclined to do leadership because you think that you can affect change and change things up, then it's about learning how to do that the best you can and surrounding yourself with mentors that are intergenerational so that you can, you can make those changes. And we all treat medical students like they know nothing. They're not Jon Snow. I think we should see them, we should hear them, we should ex- and, and, and respect that they know stuff. I still remember having to do a resuscitation on a neonate, and then I was super thankful that uh, the med student that was on shift with me had previously been a critical care medic who had done many of these. And I think that acknowledging and having the humility to realize that people around you might be smarter than you, maybe more skilled, you, you have your vantage point, you can teach them, but the, the junior trainees in the room also, please assert yourselves and find a way to gently indicate that you may have something that you can add. Thank you so much, Teresa. I'm so looking forward to TMU's uh, vision and everything coming to fruition very shortly. Thank you for taking the time in your busy schedule to 
have a chat with me. It's always a pleasure um, and look forward to ongoing collaboration. Excited to have uh, been invited to this podcast. Back to you, Pat. Thanks, Victor. And thank you, Teresa. That's our show for today. We hope you are finding these podcasts informative and entertaining, and we'll continue to listen to them. Please subscribe to them through your favorite podcast platform or access them via the CSPL website at physicianleaders.ca. Until next time.